Our scripture today comes from the book of John, and we're going to be in the sixth chapter, verses 26 to 34. Uh, during this uh, message, I'm going to expand it to, to look a little bit broader than that, but that's what I'm going to read. Actually, if you, if you want to kind of get a, a framework for what Jesus is responding to in this, um, he, he fed 5,000. And um, after that, then he sends his disciples off in a boat to uh, to go to another uh, location, and they're rowing, and and he's off. He's on the shoreline, uh, spends some time by himself, no doubt in prayer, and then he wants to join them. So he just walks out there, and it's not that it's shallow. Jesus walks on water, right? And he walks out there, and he spends time in the boat with them because the the waves have gone crazy, and it's getting kind of nuts out there. But he calms that, and they make it to another shoreline where they find that the people that he fed the day before in the feeding of the 5,000, some of them have been scouring the shoreline looking for him. They, they don't know where he went. Apparently, they're there for breakfast. I don't know. But they're ready to eat again. And so they, they say to him, Jesus, we, we just didn't know where you had gone. And here's what he says. Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? Apparently, feeding of 5,000, walking on water wasn't enough. What will you do? Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives, you, gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So you might remember uh, a few years back there was a comedian by the name of Bill Engvall. I'm sure he's still out there doing the stuff, but he was part of that blue-collar comedy tour. Uh, Larry the Cable Guy was another one in that group. But, but Engvall um, had a, a, a line that he used all the time, and, and that line was, here's your sign. Here's your sign. Now, what he meant by that was uh, Bill, Bill would open up with saying um, that he hates stupid people. Now, I know we send the kids out because kids aren't allowed to say stupid, but I can say it here because it's not a four-letter word. Bill hates stupid people. And, um, and so he would say that, that you know, you get, you get disclaimers on, on products because of people who do some stupid things. And he said, yeah, you read a bottle, a tube of Preparation H, and it says not to be taken orally. And he says, you can just imagine there was somebody who made that first phone call to customer service and said, this stuff tastes terrible. And what he's saying is that people like that ought to have to wear a sign that says, I'm stupid. So that when they go to the pharmacy and go to the counter and say, I want to buy this, they go, ah, I can't sell it to you. You're too stupid to use this. Here's your sign. 
He said he'd, be, he'd been fishing and he gets off the boat and he's got a, a, a stringer full of fish. And some guy comes up to him on the dock and goes, did you catch all those fish? He says, no, I, I convinced him to surrender. Here's your sign. He said he went, he, he had a flat, and so he, he pulls into an auto repair shop, and the guy says, you got a flat tire? He goes, no, I was driving down the road, and the rest of them just plumped right up. Here's your sign. I kind of wonder, <laughs> all right, maybe Jesus didn't say it that way, but that's what the people were asking for. Give us a sign. I, I, I guess feeding 5,000 and, and, and uh, uh, you know, walking on water wasn't enough. In the book of John, John doesn't call them miracles. John refers to those activities of Jesus as signs. Signs. Because a sign is not meant to point to itself. Therefore, he doesn't call them miracles. A sign is meant to point to something else, something greater, something bigger. And the problem is that, that for us, we might get sidetracked by the miracle and think it was the point. And it becomes like a magic trick for us. You know, you, uh, you, you take a coin and, and, and you go, look, look, and, and then you go, and it's gone. And you go, oh, it's not there, and it's not there, but it was there all along. And, and, and you go, oh, show me that again. Isn't that what they did? They said, they said, okay, well, the 5,000, the walking on water, but what sign are you going to give us? Give us another magic trick. Show us something special. I know uh, Jesus didn't do magic tricks. Some people, I got, I got in trouble for saying that one time. Jesus didn't do magic tricks, but for those people, it functioned that way. Do it again. Show us that again. What sign are you going to give us, they said. And so John, John calls them signs because they, they point to something far more important. They point to something going on that is larger than the event itself. Now John records these signs in the Bible. You want to guess how many John recorded? I'm going to throw a number at it. It's not 12. That's one of those magic numbers of the Bible. What other magic number is there in the Bible? 40? It's not 40. Who said the other one? Seven. Interesting, John should give us seven. So the number seven, the number seven meant perfection. Better than all other numbers. Seven was perfect. And therefore, less than perfect is six. Six, 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 the mark of the devil, is way less than perfect. Seven, though, that's a perfect number in the Bible. And John records seven. Now, John says later in the Bible, in, in his book, he says, look, Jesus did far more than this, so much more that, that you could fill a library with, with all of the volumes written about it. But why does he choose seven? Because the miracles aren't the point. It's what they point to. He wants to get your attention. With You start counting them up. Here are the things that he did. As a matter of fact, let's look at them. Here are the signs in the book of John. He changed water into wine. There's the healing of the royal official's son. There's the healing of the paralytic at the pool. The feeding over 5,000 with fish and loaves. Walking on water. Healing a man born blind. Raising Lazarus from the dead. Those are the seven. There's some people who argue over whether that walking on water was a miracle. Huh? 
Um, it, it's interesting if you, if you Google that and, and the seven signs, and you'll find that somebody, some people actually think it was the cleansing of the temple, not the walking on water. But we couldn't add eight, so we're going to throw the cleansing of the temple out. Um, because I don't know how you throw out the walking on water part. Anyway, the, the point is that the, they point to something else. Signs point to something, right? We don't focus on a sign. We don't look at a sign and go, well, that's well constructed. I was in the construction business. I know how to build those things. I remember driving trucks or having trucks driven over and dumping the concrete into the pile so that you could have the sign on it. It doesn't matter. Nobody looks at the sign and says, I wonder what that's made of. You look at the sign to tell you it's pointing to something. What is it pointing to? I think John is real clear in his gospel, and he starts it this way. In the book of John, chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, when he says the word, Word, he's talking about Jesus Christ, the Word of God in flesh. And he's saying that Jesus Christ, the, the person that he met, met in person, existed before all of history, in the beginning. It's supposed to remind you of Genesis 1, in the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning was the word, when God created the heavens and the earth. As a matter of fact, it goes on to say nothing was created, that he wasn't a part of it. John's being real clear to us who Jesus is. But he doesn't stop there. He tells us why Jesus came. And he tells us that as he shares Jesus' words in John 3. God so loved the world. Imagine that. God so loved. God has created this expanse we call the universe. And, and what I'm learning as I get older is that the universe is still expanding. It's like my belt line. It's still expanding ever more and more growing out there. And God cares about this speck of dust. I mean, compared to the size of the expanse, the earth is a speck of dust. God so loved the world. And, and not just the world. God loved the, the dust creature that he made. Remember what it says, and God created humanity out of the dust of the earth. He, God loves the dust creature. And it's not just all of us together, but each one of us individually. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever, that's us, whoever believes shall not perish but have eternal life. And so when John talks about the signs, John says this is what it's pointing to. The pre-existent Christ that that's comes to earth in Jesus is given for us, his only begotten son, for an eternal relationship. An eternal relationship that God wants to have with us. The relationship is, is what those signs are about. I mean, you can, you can paint it with a broader brush and you can find more details in it. Let's look at, at some of those miracles. Uh, changing water into wine. Now, I know because, you know, I've, I've studied this stuff. I know what the jars were that the water was in and the meaning of the water and all of that. But, but don't get lost in those details. They're important and interesting details to know. But it's almost like saying, you know that quarter that I made disappear? What's that made out of? And, and oh, look, it's got a state on the back. Oh, it happens to be Washington State from 1889. I guess that's when they started. Not the point, was it? 
Not the point of the trick. Don't focus so much on the media through which Jesus does the signs that you miss the sign. Jesus changes water into wine. At the wedding at Cana of Galilee, now that's false too, because it wasn't a wedding, it was a reception afterwards. Jesus changes water into wine. Mary comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, they're out of wine. And Jesus says, I'm not going on a beer run, Mom. And she says, just listen to him. And they gather these jars and, 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 and they fill these jars with water and, and he blesses the jars and they become this fabulous wine. And, and what happens in that is that the embarrassment of a family for running out of wine in the middle of the reception, well, the family relationship is preserved. The marriage relationship a husband and wife don't have to go through the fact that, oh, they're the ones that the, rehearsal, the reception was over early. And the two families that are united, because that was a significant part of weddings back there, to then two families were united. And their relationship wasn't scarred by this running out. This emptied water or wine becomes overflowing so that the relationships can continue unabated. The next story is that of the, the healing of the royal official son. Now, royal official means that, that it's somebody that, that aligned himself with Herod, and they somehow are a part of Herod's camp. Herod was the king at the time. Even though they had Roman occupation, Rome allowed the kings to still reign within boundary. That's why the soldiers were there. They wanted to mark the boundaries really clearly. And, and so Herod, and so this was, would have been one of Herod's officials. Herod is the one that had John the Baptist put to death. But Jesus doesn't draw a small circle. Jesus isn't worried about political boundaries. Jesus, Jesus uh, most of his ministry, especially in Galilee, most of his ministry was with poor and disenfranchised people. They were people who were, were subsistence living people. They either grew it or caught it if they were going to eat it. And if they didn't grow it, and if the fish weren't biting... They didn't eat. And so Jesus' ministry, most of his ministry in Galilee is to these people. But he doesn't exclude people from another socioeconomic boundary that would not have been welcome among those. Instead, he, he, he heals the son as a sign that this relationship is, is beyond socioeconomics. But be clear. Social economics, Jesus did care about the poor. Again, most of his ministry in Galilee was to the poor. He heals the, the paralytic at the pool. There's a man that's paralyzed, and, and in this story, he's trying to get into this pool of water that supposedly had healing properties, and, but he, he can't walk, he can't move, and he doesn't have anybody to help him in the water. He doesn't have anybody that cares enough to push him in the water when the water's ready. And Jesus heals them. Jesus cares about people who are hurting and who are ignored. And Jesus heals them, and in doing so, heals that relationship. And sends a message to us about the relationships we have with people who are hurting, who are maybe outside 
because whatever barrier keeps them from coming in. And then there's the story of feeding 5,000. Now, in, in, in one of the Gospels, when it tells this story, it tells, Jesus didn't say, okay, we got enough bread and fish now, get in the buffet line. It's not how it worked. He had the people sit down in groups of 10 or 20. Now, probably they didn't all know each other. Yesterday, I was at the Wildwood, uh, Celebrate Wildwood um, uh, thing, and, and uh, um, we got some, some popcorn for my granddaughter, and we wanted to go find a table. It was actually warm out, and so there was a table in the shade, but most of the tables were filled, but there was this one table that had a few people sitting at it, and so I went to that table, and, and, and there were, I just said, can we, can we sit here? And they said, sure, and I said, I'm Dave, and, and they kind of ignored me, but I tried. Can you just imagine as those groups of 10 and 20 are sitting around in circles and the apostles are coming, nobody has food, the apostles are coming and they're just dumping baskets of bread and fish. Do you suppose the table conversation is, hey, how's the weather today? Or were they talking about this sign and asking, what does this mean? There's plenty to feed us all where there was none before. Do you suppose those circles were important to Jesus that they gather together that way and not go off with your family to eat by yourselves, but instead begin forming relationships with people you don't even know yet? I bet there's somebody at church today sitting near you you don't know yet. Do you suppose God has you together in this place at this time to meet someone and to begin the process of caring about them? From that feeding of the 5,000, it goes to the, to the walking on water. And I don't want to go into a lot of detail there, but can you imagine when the boat gets to the shoreline? What do you think the conversation was then? Whoo, boy, that was rough rowing. I don't think so. It was, we left with 12 and arrived with 13. Wait till you hear how that happened. Because Jesus just walked on out here. Let's talk about what's going on with Jesus. But right after that, the people show up, and that's what I told you before. The people, the people that gotten, they had gotten the food they needed during that feeding of the 5,000. And like I said, it's breakfast time now. Where's, where's you know, the buffet Jesus? And, and so they go looking for him. They go looking for Jesus. They need another sign, they said. I'm thinking 5,000. I'm thinking walking on water, here's your sign. But they need another sign. And they ask about manna, the bread from heaven. And Jesus said, the, the, the bread is here, sent to you from the Father. As a matter of fact, the, the, the next verse of, of the, the story in verse 35, it goes, Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Don't miss the sign. It's not about the bread and the fish that you ate. It's not about me walking on water. It's not about the healings that take place. Don't miss the point. The sign is pointing to something greater. The sign is pointing to a relationship that God wants to have with you in Jesus Christ. That's what the sign points to. And to be clear, then God wants you to believe in Jesus and not just in Jesus, but all that he taught as well and live that out in your life. Make that your life's purpose. He's saying there's something greater happening here. 
Don't miss it. As we started this sermon series uh, just a few weeks ago, we talked about that John 14, 12 verse that says, where Jesus says, you've seen all this, but you know what? Y'all are going to do far greater things than I did. And you and I are thinking, I don't know how to walk on water. I don't know how to heal a paralytic. You missed the point. You You focused on the trick and not what it pointed to. What it points to is the desire to have a relationship with other people, a relationship that feeds people spiritually, that heals them spiritually, that takes somebody that's broken and helps them become whole. The sign points to a relationship that God wants to have with them and your responsibility to introduce them to it. First, your responsibility to accept it for yourself and then your responsibility to share it, to offer it to others. So many times we want a sign. We'd prefer the miracle. Wouldn't it be wonderful if, if God would just do all those miracles in our lives? You know, recently, my family had a miracle. I, there's just no other way to describe it. Uh, I, I, a few weeks ago, um, about five weeks ago, in the middle of service, I got a text from my brother. My, my sister-in-law was in the ICU. Uh, she was intubated. And, and the, doctor, the text from my brother was, the doctor said, make your arrangements. You know what that means, right? That's not good. Make the arrangements. She had something wrong with her lungs that was incurable. I mean, you Google it, you'll find out. It's incurable. She goes home tomorrow without oxygen. How does that happen? Well, we got the miracle. Now, I'm the little brother, so I got to poke my brother a little bit. And I said... Jack, you realize this is, this is greater than this healing. God's talking to you. And he said, oh, yeah, he's, I'm listening now. By the way, I came to faith through that brother, so I feel like I'm obligated to kick him once in a while. We got the miracle. But, you know, yesterday I, I want to tell about a, a church family because yesterday I got a phone call early in the morning that um, Rick Ferguson has just died and his wife is there in the ER. And I said, I, I said I'll be right there. And I hung up and, and <laughs> I was eating breakfast in my pajamas. And I hung up, went and got dressed and ran to the hospital. Um, what happened was Rick is, has been sick for a while. Uh, if you don't know them, uh, they, they worship here all the time. And Rick has been sick for a while, and that's been kind of quiet. Um, they were to go tomorrow to figure out the treatment for his cancer. And um, uh, Rick, in the middle of the night, um, Friday night, uh, fell ill, and um, he, he became unresponsive. And his wife, she's an OR nurse. She understands what to do at the right time. And she calls 911 and they come and, and they take, he, he's not responding. He's unresponsive, completely out. Unresponsive. They take him to the ER. And of course, she falls behind in a, in a truck, a Rick's truck, and, and they get to the, to the ER. And um, they let her into the room where Rick has been unresponsive the whole time. And he opens his eyes and looks at her and he says, oh, good, you're here. And then he expresses his love for her, that he's always loved her. And a few moments later, he was dead. 
Did Lynn not get a miracle? Now, none of us is going to live forever. The miracle Lynn got was the knowledge that she is loved deeply by her husband and will be loved into eternity as they are great people of faith and, and they, they trust in the love that they have for each other, but also in the love God has for them in Jesus Christ. We all look for miracles in some way. I believe Jesus is pointing, using the miracle, using the sign to point to the relationship that he wants to have with you and the relationship that he wants you to have with others. Amen and amen.